Tonight we're going to look at a title of how God turns an attack into advancement. We're looking at Acts chapter 8, the first eight verses. Acts chapter 8, the first eight verses. We're picking up where we left off last Wednesday night. And this is Saul that later becomes Paul. And it says in verse 1, And Saul was consenting. He voted for it unto his death. Talking about Stephen. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Four unclean spirits crying with loud voice came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. And there was great joy. In that city. How God turns an attack into advancement. Let's pray tonight. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come before you. And we know, God, that you are on the throne. God, there's no doubt about it. You are on the throne. And God, throughout history, Lord, you have always been there. And Lord, there is times that we will have struggles and problems and the enemy of our soul will try to convince us that you're not on it, that you're not in control, that you're not aware, and that God, that we have to be worried. But God, tonight, as we look at your word, encourage us to know that even in the darkest hour of our life, you are still in control. And God, you can even take the attack that the enemy means to destroy and you can turn it into an advancement for your kingdom. You can use your people, Lord, when they're under pressure. You can use your people when they're under attack. You can use your people in the darkest hour greater than any other time. God, open our eyes. Let us have all confidence in you and see how, Lord, you have it all under control. We thank you for it. We believe it. God, that you would help us, God, to be steadfast. Lord, Lord let us be filled with your spirit overflowing, God. And Lord, let us be a vessel you can use. Speak tonight, Lord. Please speak. Not me, but you. And that you would have your way with every life. You know what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. How God turns an attack into advancement. Uh, when you look at these verses, I, I, I'm, I'm going to look at this a little different than I've probably ever preached before. It's a little different. Because as I was reading this, and, and this is where we were naturally going to be tonight. As I was reading this, I couldn't help but getting out of my mind. 
that of all this scene that we're looking at in these eight verses, there's several people, several groups that is listed here. And every single one of them is feeling the pressure. They're, they're feeling the heat because what's happened up to this point is God, the Lord has poured out the Holy Spirit on the church. The, the church is spirit-filled. And this new church is overflowing with the power and presence of the Holy Ghost. And people are being saved and, and God's moving and doing great work. But you know as well as I do, anytime you make an advancement toward the things of God, the enemy of your soul is going to come against you. He's going to try to stop you. If he didn't try, if he tried to come against God's Son Himself, if he came and thought he won a great victory by putting him on a cross and he tried to stop everything he did, he tried to hinder every miracle he did, he tried to stop every time he ministered to people because he hated him so much. If you'll do it to him, don't think for a second he won't do it to you. But we have an advantage because we, if we are spirit-filled, then God can give us the victory God can give us the wisdom. God can give us the strength that we need. That even when the enemy comes against you and he tries to attack you, he will not be able to defeat you. Yes, there can be dark days. Yes, there can be things that he thinks he's winning a victory. But as we look at these verses here tonight, that even when he thinks he won, just like on that Calvary's cross, he thought he'd won a great victory. He thought he'd shut the, the mouth of God. Yet he lost the greatest victory in his life. He lost the greatest battle because God knew every detail and God is working. When I, when I read this scripture, and, and that's the first one I'm going to look at is, is Satan. But when I look at the scripture, it's almost like you're looking. Have you ever seen a movie and, and, the, and when they produced it, they, a video and they've, or there's something they're trying to show you and tell you a story. And then there's all these different angles. They'll tell, show you the different angles. All at the same time, they will show you one piece of it. And then they'll say, meanwhile, at the same exact time, they'll show you a different angle. And when you put all the little pieces together, you have a total different perspective than when you look at just at one of those by themselves. And that's the way I think this scripture is. These verses is giving us such confidence. If you get a hold of it, and if the Lord helps me get it to you, there is such confidence that we can have that even in the middle of the attack, even when the enemy's coming to do no good, you can see if you look at all these puzzle pieces and you finally put them together, from our perspective where we stand today, we can see all the outcome. We know, but if you look at each of these individuals, they didn't know what the outcome was. They didn't know. They knew things were happening and they knew they were scary and they knew that things were bad and the attack was on and they were responding. But you're going to see that God was in complete control the entire time. The enemy never won a victory even though he thought he had. The first thing we're going to look at tonight is Satan. You need to see this. I'm not going to give him much credit. I'm not going to give him much time here. But you need to realize that in your life, just like in this life right here, there is the, the enemy of your soul. He has limited power. He's not like God, by the way. He is not unlimited like God. And he has to use his uh, demonic forces because he can't be everywhere at one time. He has to use his forces to try to discourage you, but he will. 
He will use whatever power he can to cause you to be fearful, to give up, to give up on God. And when things hit us and we go through struggles, and I know because I've been there so many times, and I struggle to say, God, do you know what's going on? God, are you coming through? And fear sets in. And, the, and we're going to try to get some confidence tonight because the enemy of your soul, you know what? The one thing we need to see about him is, first of all, he's a liar. And Scripture bears that out. It says he's not only a liar, he's the father of it. He is the creator. He is the author of lies. Lies is to take the truth and twist them into something that's not true to try to convince you it's true. And that's what he does in our lives most of the time is he's coming against you with lies. He's coming against you with an attack. We see that in the political world. It's full of it today. There's so many lies that's going on. You don't even know who. You don't know what channel to believe. You don't know what news source to believe. You don't know who to believe. It is such a mess because that is the tactics of the enemy. Lies everywhere. And so we see that he's a liar. You need to realize that he's a liar. You know what else? He opposes everything that he sees God trying to do. When he sees you, God trying to move in your life, he's going to try to raise up something against that. You need to realize, though, God has the upper hand. God knows everything. Every attack that the enemy comes against you with, God knew it before you breathed your first breath. Before God gives you a task to accomplish, he knows the attack that's coming. And he's going to be right there to be your victory through that if you just keep your eyes and trust him. You know what else? Satan's ultimate goal is to kill you. And to take you out. And to stop you from doing anything for God. That's what he thought he was doing on that cross. But he lost his greatest victory. We seen last week we talked about Stephen. That's exactly what he did. Because Stephen's voice was so powerful. Because he was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Because this, the people, the religious leaders that Satan totally influenced. And had under his complete control. That were self-righteous. And they were do anything but drawing people toward God. We see that he came against Stephen because he was a Holy Spirit-filled believer. And the word of God was going forth and they could not do anything with what he said. They could not defeat him. Why? That spirit was speaking through Stephen. That's why it's so important that we are spirit-filled. It's because it's not our strength. We can't make it in this hour in our strength. It's only through the spirit of God's spirit through us that we're going to have the victory so satan tries and so as we look at each of these other names realize that there is an attack going on each one of them that the enemy is trying to destroy the enemy's plan is to destroy he thinks he has things under control and it looks if you look at it from any of these perspectives if you if you look at it when it's going on you may get that opinion oh my goodness look how the enemy is winning the victory but you have to put the pieces all together and then you see oh he lost one of the greatest victories next to the cross that he, that he could have lost. So we need to see Satan's involved. But God is the one who turns it to an advancement. You know who else we're going to look at? Let's look at Saul. Saul just showed up. Saul was a young man, probably in his 20s, his early 20s, and no more than 30, most likely in his early 20s here. He was a young man that the first time you see him is when he's standing at the feet, uh, uh, standing there holding the coats for Stephen, and it says in verse 1, Saul, who later becomes Paul, says in verse 1, and Saul was consenting unto Stephen, his death. It means that he was agreeable. It also can mean he voted 
There's a chance that he was on the Sanhedrin. If so, he voted for it, and he wasn't going to get his hands dirty. He wasn't going to be a part of it, but he was kind of like some of this group that's going on, some of this Antifa stuff that's going on. There, you've got people that's coming into these mobs and these cities, and it's not the people that live there you necessarily have to worry about, but it's that group that comes in that doesn't live there, and you've got people behind the scenes and says, hey, you, are you going to put up with that? Is this the way you're going to let them treat you? Go do something about it. Hey, I'll hold your coat. I'll hold your coat. You do the dirty work. I'll hold you. Stir them up and let them go. And he was holding the coat. It says he was consenting unto Stephen's death. Why was he like that, by the way? Why was, why was Saul so hardened and angry? Because we see in verse 3 that his anger, after this, he even gets worse. It says in verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church. That word havoc is such a powerful word. This word is referring to a wounding of a boar pig. This is the same word that's used of wounding a boar pig as in it's talking about the one scripture of how a, a boar you know, ravages a garden. It's like wounding a boar and it goes crazy just doing Crazy damage everywhere it goes, just out of control. And that's what's going on here. This is the description we see of Saul's life. That once he heard this preaching of Stephen, and once Stephen uh, said these stinging words that brought judgment against the, the leadership of the church and said, you've killed the very Son of God, the Messiah you've been waiting on. You all have blood on your hands. And anger filled them because they were sitting there thinking, why is, why is he so angry? Because he's suffering with self-righteousness. These religious leaders, these men that were, that were part of this uh, Sanhedrin, they were so, most of them were so self-righteous that they looked at the lives that they lived and they thought they lived so good and they lived so close that God was lucky to have them and God must be proud of them and everybody else that didn't live like them, they looked down their nose and that's sometimes a problem when you look at what you do and you look at your righteousness and scripture tells us that our righteousness is as a filthy rag I was thinking about that earlier tonight and I was thinking about that if you ever we went on vacation one time and I had done something with washing some dishes and my wife was kind of upset when we got back because I had left a dish rag that I'd done something with and I instead of hanging it up and letting it dry I had just dropped it down in the sink and it was hidden we didn't see it but when we come back through the door from being gone several days we didn't have to look for what that we that smell just knocked you down so you come through the door that little bitty dish rag that had just been left with some things in it for a few days had, had taken over the entire house and so I even threw it away I wouldn't even try to wash it I was like that is so bad I'm throwing it away because I'm getting it outside because that is too bad to even try to fix. And that's kind of what it points out when it says that our righteousness is as a filthy rag. It is so putrid. It is so vile in the presence and the nostrils of God. And so Paul is sitting there, or Saul is sitting there, thinking of his own self-righteousness and so proud of what he had. But he couldn't see the fact that what he did, what he did in his own strength, what we do in our own strength is a putrid smell in the presence of God. It's only when we accept the perfect righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ, 
So we see that Paul is coming after the church. And we see that Paul is being influenced by the power of Satan. Satan had found his new man. He would found the person he was going to use to shipwreck the church. He found someone that he had complete control. And he put anger in him. And it says that he took people and he was dragging them out. And he was binding them. It even says that he assaulted them. He was, he was beating and dragging. And he was throwing. And later in his life when he gave his heart to the Lord. He grieved two or three times. He talks about the person he used to be and the things that he used to do. And we see that, that, that Saul, this, this scene that's going on, and we see this person that's the antagonist. We see this person that is the threat to the church. We see this, and if you look at him by himself, you say, oh my Lord, what are we going to do? Look at this. Is the enemy in complete control? What are we going to do? God, are you going to do anything about this? But if you follow his life through just in the next chapter, one chapter over, all of a sudden God has a plan and he had a plan before this and he was already working the plan and God is going to arrest his heart and God's going to reveal himself to him and the very one that he is persecuting is going to be standing before him with a bright light and his eyes are going to be blinded and he's going to repent. And he's going to become the greatest a warrior for the things of God. He's going to take write about half of this New Testament. He's going to be the greatest uh, 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 power that God uses to build the church and not tear it down. So does God take a, an attack and turn it into an advancement? He did in the life of Paul. He did because he turned from Saul to Paul. We see here, not only is Satan, we see the picture of what Satan's trying to do to the church. He's trying to stop. He's trying to gag. He's trying to kill the church. And he thinks he's winning. We see that Paul thinks, or Saul, that he thinks that he's going to advance against the church and he's getting ready to be its greatest advocate. He's getting ready to be its greatest promoter. So God's under the ultimate control. God knows what he's doing. Not only that, we see even in this, this uh, verse 2, we see Stephen. All these are S's, by the way. Stephen, we see that God, you know, if you look at that situation, Stephen, a mighty man, spirit-filled, power-packed, uh, on fire, dedicated, completely yielded, no matter what the cost, man of God, who did great and mighty things, wonderful miracles, and God used him to preach and his life was cut short. And if you look at it, if you look at it from the perspective of, of his short life and you see it, and even we see that some godly men here that's taking, we see the verse in 2 that says, And devout men, God-fearing men, carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. They wept bitterly over the loss. And they seen this was the one that when they, when they voted for seven men on everybody's lips, this was number one. Everyone in unanimous uh, consent said, Stephen's one of the seven. He's the first name. He's the first one that's listed in Scripture. He is the one that God had such a hand on. And we see that he is now, if you look at it by itself, we see it looks like the enemy has won a victory. What an incredible loss the church has. God, do you know what you're doing? God, do you understand what's going on here? Where were you? But we see, we know, we get a picture. Thank God Stephen tells us this before he steps as we looked into eternity. We see that he's standing there. He's being attacked. He's being stoned. He's not even saying much to these people. He's standing there and, and, there's, and they're furious with him. And he looks and he says, I see the Son of Man standing. By the right hand of the Father. Oh, that's what infuriated him the most. 
that not only confirmed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and He's there in heaven, but Stephen is seeing that he's not sitting on the right hand of the throne, but he's standing at the right hand of the throne because there is his child who's being faithful even unto death. And we look at this, and these men are crying and weeping, but we look at it, and it looks like a drastic loss. But is it a loss? You're going to find out when you look at these verses that it isn't a loss. It was in God's perfect plan and timing. Not only did he step into eternity, not did he walk into eternity and the Son of God is standing there welcoming him home because he's been faithful. But this was the very catalyst that propelled the church and propelled the people to go and pronounce the gospel throughout the entire world that we're going to look at in just a minute. This man, this sacrifice was in God's perfect plan and God was able to use something the enemy wanted to destroy. The attack of the enemy was used to advance the kingdom of God. God knew what he was doing. God knew exactly what he was doing. And so even in Stephen's life, we see Satan lost and God won. A great and mighty victory. We're going to look at it. There's a couple inside of this. But the next thing we're going to look at in Scripture that it talks about is the saints. The saints. We see, in, uh, we see that first the apostles. The, the apostles, it, what happened when this attack started happening here? We see that the apostles uh, were faithful to stay where they were. And it affects, it says, and they were all scattered, talking about the people. And they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. By the way, it seemed like that Paul or Saul was attacking the, like Stephen, the Greek Jews. The Greek-speaking Jews was what Stephen was who had uh, pronounced judgment upon them. And they seemed like they were attacking these. But these 12 apostles, another, another reason they may have done that is because they had failed the Lord before. The last time the, the battle got hot, the last time when the Lord was being crucified, every single one of them, except for John, ran and hid. Oh, Peter followed him the night before until he failed him. And soon as they started saying, well, you're one of the disciples, he was following him from afar. And when they were saying, you're one of the disciples, oh no, he denied the Lord and then he wept bitterly and he went and cried and wept bitterly and then he was just destroyed. He just couldn't even be around Jesus because he was so guilty. But John went all the way to the cross. The one that loved him so much. The one who's had his head on his chest in the, the night before. The one who loved him and the Lord gave. I was thinking about the great privilege that he gave John at that cross. As he's standing there and John's standing there next to Mary. And the women. And Jesus, one of the last things. You know what? It just shows the love. of the. Here he is. He's dying for humanity. He's in such agony. There's no way to even comprehend what he was feeling and how he was hurting. And he, before he passed away, he looked off the cross and he said, John. And he tells him, he says, my mother is now your mother. She is now your responsibility. He gave him the greatest honor of saying, now you step in in my row and you take care of Mary. And so we know that he was faithful to do that. And so we see the saints, the apostles were faithful and they were, uh, uh, they didn't leave this time. They didn't run. And they said, you know, they knew that this church was new. They knew that the Lord had poured out his spirit and they've been praying for boldness and God's given them. What's the difference in these apostles? They've been spirit filled. They have been filled with the Holy Ghost and now boldness fills their soul. Even though every one of them, John will be on the Isle of Patmos, but every one of the other disciples will be 
a sacrifice, will be uh, 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 killed for their faith. What's the difference? They have been filled with the Spirit and they're not leaving. They're going to be faithful till the end. Not only the, uh, and the saints was the apostles, but I call in these the scattered saints, the church. Those that were filled in the upper room. Those that have been saved now. Those that were there. Because Saul was going door to door. Hey, that looks like an attack. That's an attack. Lord, what are you doing? Do you know what you're doing? The attack is on. He's coming to our houses. And he's trying to drag people out. He's trying to throw them into prison. And we see that they scattered. That they left. And they ran. But it wasn't a defeat. The defeat, the attack turned into an advancement. It says in the, in the verse about the uh, verse one, it says, and at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem. Oh my goodness, there's an attack. And they were all scattered abroad. Now that word, you've got to get this word scattered. This doesn't mean just their, this word scattered is not talking about their location. This word they use here for scattered is a sowing term for seed. And it's exactly what they're doing is that they are being spreading the word of God as seed as they leave. As they run for their lives, we see that the seed, the word of God is being cast forth. God is planting the word of God. The church is growing and there is such an impact because of what's going on. God knew what he was doing. God planned this and this is exactly his plan to fulfill the word that he'd already told them they're going to do. It says, that they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. They were the missionaries. They were the first evangelists that went forth in the church. Do you know what they were doing? They were fulfilling the exact word of Acts chapter 1 verse 8. Jesus had told them what they were going to do. Did you hear where they went to? It says that they, the apostles stayed at Jerusalem and the rest of them went to throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. We've heard that before. Where have we heard that? Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says that ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you and ye shall be witnesses. By the way, that word means martyr. You will be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, the apostles, and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. We see that they didn't just stop. And when we look at this verse, where did it say they went? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria exact order of where he said they were going to go and it didn't stop there because they finished the, 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 the prophecy they went to the uttermost parts of the earth and in fact and in two years time this attack advanced till they took the known world they preached the gospel and the entire world was reached in two years they didn't have internet. They didn't have television. They didn't have telephone. They didn't have airplanes. They didn't have electricity. They didn't have a telegraph. They didn't have the U.S. Postal Service. They didn't have anything but their lips and their feet. And they were able to reach the entire world in two years. Why? Because they were fulfilling the Word of God. How? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And so God can do more than we can even imagine. We limit ourselves so much. God can take the impossible situation. God can take the storm that you're going through. And God can advance His kingdom. And you say, but not me. You're not talking. No, let me tell you something. God can take your situation, whatever it is. And He knows about it before you ever get there. And He can turn it around so that He can receive glory. That's what He wants to do. And you know, under the saints last, I'm going to look at Philip. Man, what an amazing man of God. We see when the, the apostles are chosen, it, it gives a little bit the, the second name it tells a lot about Stephen and then it says and Philip and then it goes through the other names Philip was listed twice why because these top two these first two are the ones that's going to have such an impact on the church and God's going to use in a mighty way where did Philip go where did Philip go and it says and, and he's a and of course Philip is a a Greek speaking Jew and when the persecution hits he goes down to Samaria now you got to think now, this was taboo. This was, at, up to this point, this was against the rules. You don't go to Samaria. In fact, people would go uh, 20 miles or something out of their way. As Jews, they, we know that the Lord had revealed His plan that He was going to, he's going to fill the, uh, 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 the, the uh, uh, Gentiles with the Holy Spirit. But at this point, when they flee, he doesn't try to go around it because he's more understanding. He's a Greek-speaking Jew. And he goes straight to the place where they were, uh, uh, they were half Jew and, and, and half Assyrians. And they had married, the Syrians had married into the Jews. And they, so they weren't full Jews. And so they had always looked down at them. And they'd always held them at arm's length. And they always tried to avoid them if at all possible. But if you remember, seven years before, Jesus said one day, I must needs go through Samaria. I'm going, what are you talking about, Lord? We don't go through Samaria. Yes, I must needs go through Samaria. So he could reach a woman who had been married many times. And then through the, her testimony, the whole town, comes to him and they listen to him and they keep him there for a couple of days they say hey we believe him not because of what you said but we believe him because we've hurt ourselves." and so he presents the gospel Jesus comes and preaches to them and so Philip he on his way out of town he goes straight to Samaria and it says then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them now they got he got some real response there why did he get response why did he get response? Because we're going to see the power of God that worked mightily through his life. And it doesn't say this, but there was probably people seven years before. We don't even know this woman might even have been in the crowd. There are people that was probably in the crowd that remembers this Jesus, that had been, uh, that remembered what he said in the words of life. And now this man comes preaching about the Messiah. And they said, I knew it. I told you he was the Messiah. We knew that. We heard him speak. And what happened to him? He died on a cross. And then what happened to him? He raised from the dead. And so revival starts breaking out in Samaria through the ministry of Philip. So the enemy attacked. And Philip, from looking at it, could have thought, Oh, the attack's on. Lord, do you know what's going on? But he goes out. The Lord is behind this entire situation. And he goes out. And as soon as he gets to the first city, it says that they're not just running for their life. But everywhere they go, they're preaching the good news of the gospel. And they're finding good ground. They're finding people who are hungry for the Word of God. And so God is moving mightily. And so we see that Philip became a great evangelist. And we see him other times. And what a mighty man of God who keeps impacting the church for years. 
He becomes such a mighty strength for the church. Why? Because he was spirit-filled. Why? Because he listened to what God told him to do. And wherever he went, he was a vessel God could. You know what? God turned the attack into advancement because Philip was listening to him. God used this attack to put him where he wanted him. There's things you're going to go through. You know, when uh, the very fact that I'm right where I am was through an attack. He attacked my father. He falls off a ladder. He's injured. And all of a sudden, I'm, I'm, I'm standing behind the pulpit. And I realize that God used an attack to get me where he needed me to be. God used an attack so that he could put me right where he needed me to be. So I have full confidence that in your life and in Philip's life and any life, if you'll just surrender to him, God can take some of the darkest hours in your life that you don't understand what you're going through. And God will advance his kingdom through you if you just trust him, if you will just put your confidence in him. So we've seen that the Lord has been involved and we see that, that it looked like Satan was winning a victory. But we see that it, it, even in Saul's life, he was losing the battle. Even in Stephen's life, he thought he'd won and was bragging of what he had done. But we see that he lost the battle. We see in the saints that he thought he'd won a victory. He's chasing them out of town. There, there, there is such a defeat, he thinks, going on. And all he's doing is lighting the fire of the Holy Spirit and the gospel of Jesus Christ is being spread to where he can't put it out he can't put it out the enemy of God tries to shut up the word of God and contain it but God uses the, the pressure that he puts on the church and he uses it to spread it to where it is like fire that he can't put out and so we finally see uh, not finally but next to the last we see the Samaritans we see that these Samaritans that, that Philip has come to, we see what was their response. They're sitting there, no doubt, this is the move of God. God's desire is for the, the Word of God, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out even on Gentiles. Thank God He did that. Thank God for me that He did that, that He poured it out on even us, even us Gentiles who had been pushed away, who was not worthy. And he sends the word of God to the Samaritan. What kind of response did he have when he got there? It says, then in, in verse 5, Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Verse 6 says, And the people with one accord, here it is, just like the book of Acts, chapter 2, one accord, one place, and when you get in that situation, one mind, one spirit, one voice, God's able to move. And it says, And the people with one accord gave heed. Unto those things which Philip spake. They were intrigued. They wanted to hear what he said. Not only had they knew about this Jesus seven years ago. Not only they heard the things that he did. But we're going to see that God will fulfill. And, will, and when you surrender to him completely. He will move and do the miraculous. And it says why did they listen to him? They were hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. They heard the word. And it burned their hearts. They seen and heard the miracles that he did. I got thinking about that. They seen, I know you see miracles, but then I got thinking about, well, how do you hear a miracle? How do you hear a miracle? And then I was thinking about some lives that I know that has been so transformed and then the lives that have been so changed and turned around that you didn't even have to see the event happen. But when you see them again, just like this man that was sitting by the, the gate 
this gate called beautiful that was raised up, that was healed. And it didn't, you didn't have to see that happen. But the next day when he was walking through town, anybody who wasn't there seen what had happened and what the Lord had done for him, the healing that had happened to him when Peter and John had got a hold of him. And we see that they knew that a miracle. Why? They had heard what had happened and they had heard the word of God. But when they see it, then all of a sudden what they heard becomes real because they heard of the changes that had been made. So we see that they uh, heard and seen, and so God was able to draw them. And it goes on and says, For unclean spirits, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies that were lame were healed. We see that God did the miraculous, just like He did in the ministry of His Son, Jesus Christ. That the reason that these people were so drawn to Jesus was multiple things. One is that when they heard Him preach, when they heard Him speak, the Word was so much uh, it was life. It was not just somebody teaching. It was someone with authority. It was someone who was speaking from experience. It was someone, it was God talking about him himself. And so they knew what his, his words had life, and they hung on every word. And if that wasn't good enough, then every person that came to him sick, he reached out, and he touched, and he ministered, and he raised up, and he did the miraculous in their sight. And they knew. This must be the Messiah. This must be someone special because of what he's able to do. And God gave that ministry. Didn't he say we'll do more than he was able to do? Why? Because he goes to the Father. He's sending the comforter, the Spirit. Listen, I, I'm not satisfied that we don't see that on every search. I'm not satisfied. I know God wants to do that. I'm believing that. I want to see that on a regular basis here in America again. I want to see it in our church. I want to see it in my own eyes. On a, I've seen miracles. I've seen the miraculous. I want it to be so natural and so normal that we expect it. That we come with expectancy knowing, why, of course if you come in here, you're going to get healed. Of course he's going to raise you up. All you got to do is just have the brothers lay their hands and sisters put their hands on you and pray for you and God's going to raise you up. We would believe it. But we need to again say, God, we need to see it again. We need the mighty move and miraculous power of God to move so that people see again that God is on the throne. He still hears. He still moves. And He will do it, but we don't trust Him enough. Sometimes we, we don't believe Him. We don't even ask Him sometimes. You don't have because you ask not. Isn't that what James said? So we see that there was miraculous things done and that even Samaritans, there could have been even some of the Samaritans who had been praying. Lord, would you please do something? Lord, I remember what I heard from Jesus when he was here. Lord, God, would you come and would you speak to us? Would you help us? And there was probably a hunger. And God come and answered that hunger. You know what the response was? It was a, it's a wonderful thing. When it tells the picture of what happened with Philip, verse 8 sums it up. And this happens every time when God has complete uh, authority in lives, when God's Spirit's poured out, when people completely are filled up and God can meet their needs. Here's what it says in that short verse. And there was great joy in that city. There was great joy in that city. Why? Because the good news of Jesus Christ had been preached and the needs had been met and this is what people really need and desire is to hear the good news 
and for him to transform their lives. That's what people are looking for. So we've seen tonight, and finally we're going to look at the last one. It's the very thing that, that weaves its way through every one of these circumstances. We've seen that when the enemy come with an attack, that God was able to advance even though Satan had a plan God won the victory. Even though Saul thought he was going to be the one who put down the church, he became God's win. God's advancement was to transform him into the greatest apostle the Scripture tells about who was so powerfully used by God. We see that God used the sacrifice of Stephen to advance and be a catapult for the church to move forward. We see that the saints was the very ones sowing the seed. They're running for their lives, and yet God used this to sow the seeds of the uh, good news throughout all the world of, uh, that, we, they, that they had at that time. And we see that the Samaritans received the light. And God poured out His Spirit and His power and met their needs. And now the Word is going forth to the, to the Gentiles. And God is using Philip as one of the first one, a great uh, evangelists. But you know what? This is the one that actually is available even today. The Spirit. The Spirit of God is the one who has the ultimate power in your life and in this situation. This is the person, this is the person of God that is able to win great victories, turn the attack into an advancement. You know why? Because one reason, he's omniscient. He, he's all-knowing. There's not one thing in your life that God doesn't already know the outcome. God doesn't already know the plan. God doesn't already already gone before you. God's already working before you get to the problem. God's already there. And so we can worship God because even when we're going through our greatest problems, He's omniscient. He's not, the, Satan is none of these. Satan is none of these. He is not all-knowing because God can even tell him the plan. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to die on a cross. I'm going to raise again. And the Satan cannot stop it. Why? He's not all-knowing. He doesn't know everything. And also why? He's not omni, uh, omnipotent. He's not all-powerful like God is. God has unlimited power. Satan does not. And then also, God, thank the Lord that God is omnipresent. He is every, he's right there in that house with you. At the same time, he's right here with me. And at the same time, he's in a house church in China. At the same time, he's over in the gulag. And he's, and then he's over in, in Russia. He's over in, in any, all over the world, uh, down under in Australia. He's all over the world. At the same time, anyone who calls out his name, he's omnipresent. His spirit is everywhere. His spirit is all-powerful. His Spirit is all-knowing. So when we come before God, we can come with Him with confidence that even when we face the greatest struggles, even when we face something that's going to cost us something, even though we, I can't tell you that there'll never be a problem, you're never going to have a heartache, because you will, but I can tell you that God is able to turn the attack into an advancement for His kingdom, and He knows everything, and He's already working to win victory in your life. The enemy will lose every single time so we can come before him with confidence i found this one verse i want to close with this because it is a verse that we when we come before god realizing how powerful and awesome it is we can trust him through every problem through every situation because he is all powerful first chronicles 29 11 says yours O lord is the greatness 
and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty or majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours yours is the kingdom o lord and you are exalted as head above all. Let me read that one more time. Whatever you're facing, he's above everything. He is in control of everything. He is all-powerful. Yours, O oh Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O oh Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. He's on the throne. He's all-powerful. And tonight, I don't care what you're facing. I don't care what we face tomorrow. Things can get dark. Things can get tough. But let me tell you something. He will and very likely will turn your attack that you're going through into an advancement for His kingdom. Just don't give up. Just don't listen to that voice. Because when you look at these pieces, every one of those is like a single puzzle piece. Have you ever had a puzzle you're putting together, and, and, and you might even find when you're cleaned up somewhere, you may find a single puzzle piece, and you're looking at it, and it's weird shaped, and you can't even tell the colors what it even goes to, and you're thinking, well, that's crazy. You may even throw them away. Have you ever threw away a puzzle piece? <laughs> Only to find out later where it really is supposed to go. But let me tell you something. How important is that piece when that puzzle, all the pieces have been put together and there lacks one piece to go? You may even have bought a puzzle like this and it's missing one piece. It goes right in the center somewhere. And with that one piece, it would complete the picture. And how important is that one little piece at that, for that one picture? You just get just frustrated because you can't finish it. Why? Because you're missing that one piece. These, every one of these little examples here tonight in this word is telling you one little puzzle piece. And by itself, it may look fearful. By itself, it may look like God lost control by itself it may look dark and it may look dreary but when you put all the pieces together and the word of God gives us that perspective that we can stand back and the whole puzzle is put together and we can look at every one of these little pictures all these little videos of what happened and, and previews of what happened and when you put all the pieces together you know what you can say God wins the glory every time God's on the throne every time God knew what he was doing the entire time devil you're an idiot because you fell right into the plan of God the very thing you were trying to stop the Lord, the Lord was able to win a great victory and all you did was propel it all you did was make it happen with what you did all you did on that cross was make it happen You, God brought my freedom by what you did God caused the church to spread throughout the world and the spirit to be poured out on people flesh all over the world why? because the victory was won and the attack that was to destroy became an advancement for the kingdom of God. And whatever's in your life, whatever situation you're facing, God will do the same thing if you'll let Him. Don't give up. Don't you dare listen to that enemy. Don't you let Him win a victory because God will show you if you hang on. He'll show you His power that He's already done. He's already won the victory. You just have to hang on to that. Do you believe that tonight? I hope you do. I hope that you've somehow got a hold of this and realized whatever we're facing, God's on the throne. He's under control. Amen. I'm going to close tonight in prayer. And tonight, first of all, I, I just feel like I always need to do this and try to anyway. I wonder, there could be some tonight that's watching this. Some of you, you may not know the Lord. You may not understand. You don't have faith in You've been listening. You've been thinking about it. And He's maybe been drawing you a little bit. But you've not given your heart and life to the Lord. I want to give you an opportunity tonight to give your heart and life to this Savior who has everything, the one that can turn your life that is so dark 
into brightness, into joy. That even as you go through struggles, you can be assured that your attack will turn into advancement. The things in your life will bring joy instead of just emptiness like it always did in my life when I was running from God. He'll save you tonight. And it's so easy to do. All you got to do is ask Him. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to give anything. You don't have to try to fix anything. All you got to do is just surrender your life to Him. He'll fix everything. He'll do the cleaning. He'll do the work. All you got to do is surrender to Him. It's so easy. So many people will stand before Him one day and they'll just say, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I do it? Why didn't I take that little step and I would be one of the redeemed? And so tonight you can do that. Tonight I'm going to pray with you. And if you don't know Him, would you just bow your heads? It doesn't, you don't have to say the exact thing. You don't have to. You just, all you do is talk to Him in, in your own way and say, ask Him to come into your heart and life. Will you pray with me tonight? And I'm telling you, the Lord will transform your life. He'll do it just like He did mine and so many others that are watching tonight. Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that as these that come before you, Lord, right now that you would touch them. Let them feel your presence right now. And Lord, right now, let them say, Lord, let them tell you they're a God, let them say that they need you as a Savior, and that they believe that you're the Son of God. You, they believe that you died and rose again, and they need your help. They feel the sin in their life, and they can't do anything about it. And would you take it away? Would you take away the guilt? Would you take away the stains? Would you take it away as you said you would do? You would wash us with your blood, and God, that we would never be, that sin would be forgotten, and that God, you would even see it. It would be as if it had never happened, God. Why? Because you wash us with your sinless, spotless blood. And God, everyone tonight that's asking you, you will do the work. God, you will do the transforming work. If only they'll just call out on you. It's so simple, Lord. Don't let them miss this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, that you've forgiven me. Thank you for forgiven others that even praying at this moment. God, thank you for your mighty cleansing blood. That's why you came. That's what the word was they were preaching. Lord, this good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that, Lord. And then God, tonight I pray for the saints. God, those that are going through something right now, Lord, their heart's heavy. Their heart is fearful. God, they're going through a great struggle. They're going through something, Lord, they never thought they would dream. And God, there'll be some that in the near future will go through things. God, Lord, right now that you would give them faith in you, that God, right now that faith would rise up in them, that they would realize, God, that you're not, you're, you're not unaware of their circumstance. And God, Lord, the enemy wants to destroy. Lord, oh, the enemy wants to bring down, Lord, a victory against them. Lord, you you want to use the very things that they're going through to, Lord, to propel your, your glory, your presence, your kingdom. And, Lord, you want to win a great uh, a victory through their life, God. You want to advance your kingdom through what they're going through. Lord, they're right now can be used greater than ever before. You can show yourself mighty. And you've done it so many times before. Do it, Lord. Show yourself mighty that you would receive the glory and honor and praise. And then, Lord, for the rest of us, God, get us on fire. Lord, get us on fire from the kingdom, Lord of God. Lord, let your spirit overflow us. That, God, that they would be in a move of your Holy Spirit like never before. God, this nation needs to see the Holy Spirit of God at work. And that, God, that you would push back darkness. You would bring down strongholds. And, God, your church would be a light like never before in this nation do it, God. Start it here. Start it now. Do your work. You receive the glory. You're the one that does it all, Lord. Your spirit is the one that does it all. And we thank you for it. You're still on the throne. Amen. Amen. I know I've been long tonight. I know it's been long. But let me tell you something. I hope you can find the strength you need. I hope you're encouraged that whatever you face, 
that the Lord is our victory and the Lord will give us the uh, a victory when the attack hits. He'll give us an advancement to the kingdom of God. Thank you so much for being part of our service tonight. Amen. Thank you.